Hey everyone, welcome to the Promise Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Promise Church. And to see what else is going on around here at Promise, please visit us at mypromisechurch.com. We hope this message you're about to listen to ministers to you and changes your life. Enjoy. today we've been in a message series called when a new day comes when a new day comes and I took that phrase from Acts chapter 2 and um, it says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come that they were all with one accord and in one place so we've been using this this phrase from that verse when a new day comes when the day of Pentecost came when it fully came when it finally came when it finally arrived and so we've been using this phrase to kind of uh, focus on the day of Pentecost and I know um, you might say I thought the day of Pentecost was last week and uh, I know that I'm not confused by Uh, what day it is. I might be confused about other things today, but I am not confused about what day it is. I'm sure, though, that all of us can relate. How many have lost track of days a little bit? There was a joke uh, I saw going around that uh, that was saying it was like the 92nd day of March or something like that. It was like it's they were like mixing months together. It's like April 29th or something like that. You know, nobody knew what day it was, but um, it's, it's June, right? I think it's June, right? Am I right about that? It's June. So, But last Sunday was the day of Pentecost, but I really felt like there was something powerful that the Word is saying here that is relevant for us right here and right now. And, it's, and so the first week as we were leading into the day of Pentecost, I was really focusing on that that promise of the Holy Spirit is for everybody, and it's for today. And then last week we uh, saw kind of uh, about the overflow of the Holy Spirit and it was the day of Pentecost. It was a great day. But there's something that is in this passage here of Acts 2, 1 through 4 that gives us the picture of the day of Pentecost. And there's something in this first verse that I feel like is, is very powerful and very relevant And it's right there. It's before we get to any of the other descriptions about that day. And so it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when it had finally arrived, when it fully came, it says they were all with one accord and they were in one place. And then, so it gives us that that image that they're all in one accord, they're all in one place. And then the second verse says that suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Now this was a this was something that came from heaven. It wasn't an earthly thing. It wasn't a natural thing. It wasn't something that was happening outside. It wasn't just something down the street or that was going on in the neighborhood. This was a sound that came from heaven. And it sounded the best way that the writer could describe it is it was like a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then it said there appeared to them 
uh, tongues that were uh, divided tongues as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But I want to see that first verse again and just reiterate that before any of that happened, before the rushing mighty wind, before the sound from heaven, before the fire fell, before the, the worshiping the Lord, before all of that happened, the Bible says there was a unity in that house. And I feel like this is, there's so much rich uh, doctrine, teaching, things to take out of the day of Pentecost. But one of the things that I want to draw out this year and today is that the prerequisite and the condition for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was that there was unity with God's people. And it said that they were all in one accord. And I, I made a cheesy joke in the first service I don't want to make again. Uh, but the, 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 when we think of accord, I don't know about you, but I think of a car. And I have a Honda Accord, so maybe that's why I think of a Honda Accord. Now, I'm sure people are wondering what the cheesy joke was because I'm seeing wonder on people's faces. The joke was, and I even hate to say this joke because it's a terrible joke, but it said, what was the car that the disciples drove? And it said, well, they drove a Honda Accord. It said they were all in one Accord on the day of Pentecost. I know it's cheesy. It's terrible. I, don't, I do not endorse that joke. It's, it's like a dad joke. It, it ages me. It's terrible. But, but when people hear that, that verse there, they think of maybe a card. I don't think that's a term we use, an accord. Uh, we use it when we talk about a, cord, uh, a Honda Accord. But I'll tell you what that word really means. It literally means agreement. So it was saying that they were in agreement. They were in one place. Uh, the, the way that word is used oftentimes is in the role of music. It's saying that they were striking the same note. They were in accord. They were harmonious. They were in harmony. It's a music term. They were in accord. They were striking the same note. I think of, of maybe an orchestra with a conductor. And even though somebody's playing the, the saxophone and somebody's playing the clarinet and somebody's playing the flute and somebody's playing the harp and somebody's playing this, somebody's playing that, they're all playing the same note at the same time. And the conductor is up there doing his thing. And I feel like, excuse me with the, 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 the bad analogy there, but I feel like God is our conductor. And if we'll just be in tune with one another, there's no telling what God will do in our midst and in our house. And it said they were in a one accord. It said they were in one place. They were in the same mind. They had the same heart. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus telling them, go and wait and pray in that upper prayer room. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, is going to come. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive that promise. The Bible says he ascends into heaven. But the disciples are still standing there, looking up into heaven. And the, the angels come down and say, why are you still gazing? Jesus is going to return the same way that he came. 
And then the Bible tells us that they were in that upper room and they had the same mind and they had the same heart. They were saying the same prayer. They had the same purpose. They were saying, Lord, whatever you have for us, rain it down. Whatever promise you have for us, we're ready to receive it. We're ready to have it. And I'll tell you, there's a power when God's people get the same heart, the same mind, in tune. They have a unity saying, God, we want your will to come. We want your spirit to be poured out. Whatever you have for us, we want it right here and right now. And the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit fell, that they all began to be praising and magnifying God, and they were praising God in a language that they did not know. And the prayer meeting spilled out into the street, and they were all praising God in the same language. And people were saying, I don't think they know my language naturally, but we're hearing them praise God in my language God did something that day that brought a unity to different people from different places and they were all praising God in the same language. I heard a story uh, from the 1800s. It was a Texas bank robber. And this Texas bank robber, his name was Jorge Rodriguez. What he was doing was he was robbing banks along the Rio Grande River. He was very successful in his efforts. He would use the river uh, to, to get himself back to his his uh, village, and he was so successful in his efforts that the Texas Rangers actually put him at the top of their most wanted list, and they established a special task force of Texas Rangers to apprehend him. Late one afternoon, the Rangers see Rodriguez traveling back to his village from robbing a bank, and they trail him at a distance. Uh, in order to be discreet, and they trail him, and they trail him, and they follow him, and they follow him. They follow him all the way back to his home village. They see him mingle with the people. They see him stop at the well. He draws the bucket up. He gets some water, and then he slips into the local cantina to relax, and the rangers slip in, and they manage to corner him at a table. And they draw their weapon, and the rangers say, Jorge Rodriguez, we know who you are. You are under arrest. We've come to get the money that you have stolen from the banks and get all of the people's deposits back. Rodriguez, he saw the badges. He heard the hostility in their voice, but he didn't speak English. He spoke Spanish. So he didn't understand the language that they were saying. And so he began to shout back to them in Spanish, and they began to shout louder at him in English. The problem is that they were speaking different languages, and they were yelling at one another, talking over one another, and they were talking different languages, and how many know they were getting through to one another? They were just shouting at one another. And finally, a young man steps out from behind the counter, and he says, I can help, I can translate, I can tell you what he is saying. And the ranger said, we don't care what he's saying. Tell him what we said. And so he tells them what they said. And then Rodriguez, now understanding what's going on, and he tells the young man, he says, tell the Texas Rangers that I don't want any trouble. Tell them that I haven't spent any of the money. And if they will go down to the well, and if they will face north, and if they will count down five blocks, that is a loose block, and if they pull it out, all of the money that I ever stole is behind that block in sacks. They can go, they can open the block, 
and they can have all of the deposits. And then the young man, he looks, he, he, and so he, the, the Rodriguez says, please tell him I don't want any trouble. Please tell the rangers quickly I don't want any trouble. And the young man, he looks at the rangers and he says, Ranger, Jorge says he is a brave man and he will never tell you where the money is hidden. So just forget about it. Go ahead and arrest him. I tell you, we've got to speak the same language. God's people got to speak the same language. We got to pray. We have to have that language of the Holy Spirit. We got to have a language of love, of peace, and of joy. And I'll tell you, unity is the language of the day of Pentecost. It said that day that the prayer meeting spilled out into the streets and they heard people praising God, it said, in their own language. The beautiful thing about the day of Pentecost is there was a unity that happened that day for the church. From different people, from different places, they all heard the message of Jesus being preached and God's people were in one place, in one accord, in one mind, in one heart, with one purpose and they had one purpose in that prayer meeting that God's spirit would be poured out. I want to say today that God's people ought to rally around that, ought to unite around that and just say, God, we are praying. We are hungry, we are thirsty, we desire that your spirit be poured out in a fresh and a mighty and a new and a powerful way. I wonder how many would say amen to that today and just say, Lord, we want the power of your spirit to blow through this house and this world. How many say amen to that? You know, uh, somebody put it out on our, our social media this week and I love that phrase, because I'd already felt God dealing with me. I, I intended to do this message series just two weeks, the week leading up to the day of Pentecost and the day of Pentecost. But last week, God began to deal with me about this right here, that unity is such a, uh, a consistent and foundational part of the day of Pentecost is unity. And somebody put it out on our social media this week, and I loved it, and I wanted to use it today, that a divided world needs a united church. And when our world is divided, the church ought to be united. We are united as the people of God. And Jesus wants there to be unity. And I'll tell you, the enemy wants there to be division. The word devil, you may or may not know this, the word devil comes from the Greek word diabolos, which can be translated to divide or to separate. So the devil's name actually means to divide, division, separation. And throughout this book and throughout the history of the church, you will see that it's always been Satan's plan to separate, to divide. If he can separate you, he can conquer you. If he can divide you, he can conquer you. Remember the scripture said, they that are led, away, led astray by, their, by temptation, led astray by their own lust, then they are overcome. Sin is full grown and sin ends in death. Jesus gave us that imagery of Satan being like a lion on the fringes of the flock, seeking whom he may devour. If one of them strays away, the shepherd goes and gets them because he knows that there is a, a weakness and a vulnerability away from the flock. But Satan's plan was always to divide and conquer, to separate and conquer. I've only got to go three chapters into this book, Genesis chapter 3, that Satan began to separate and conquer, began to divide and conquer. Remember, notice, 
that the serpent did not bring the temptation to Adam and Eve when they were together, but waited until he could lead Eve away from Adam. Now they're separated. Now they're divided. And now he begins to whisper his deceits about, well, did God really say that you couldn't eat from this tree? Doesn't God want you to be happy? He doesn't want you to be like him. And whispering her deceits because Satan knew if he would have whispered those deceits that maybe Adam would have spoke some sense into the situation. Or if he would have had maybe gone to Adam with the temptation that maybe Eve would have spoke up and said, no, 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 God really did say that. But there was a, a, there was a plan, there was a purpose in leading Eve away by herself to bring the deceit and bring the temptation because Satan knows if he can bring division, if he can divide, if he can separate, that he can conquer. Then, even after the temptation, after they had taken of the fruit, Satan's plan was not just to divide, put a divide between the man and his wife, but the plan was now to divide them between, between them and God. And it says that they began to hide themselves from the Lord to the point that God was even speaking out in an audible voice saying, Adam, where are you? Adam, where art thou? And began to ask where they were. They were hidden. Satan had convinced them to separate themselves from the Lord because Satan knows that when people are united that it is a powerful force but when he can divide them and bring division that they can be conquered I've only got to go seven more chapters through the Bible and get to chapter 10 of Genesis where it said that people that had a prideful desire they had a desire to build a tower to heaven which to me sounds impossible even today I don't know how you would build a tower into space or into the heavenlies. We could launch a rocket into space, uh, but I don't know how you would build a tower into space. I don't know how that's possible. But the Lord himself said if they had remained united, that nothing would have been withheld from them. Because there's a power that people have when they are united. They are a powerful force. I thought about Judges chapter 7 with Gideon. Gideon has 32,000 men. He's very afraid. The Bible says that he was hiding uh, in his cellar. And that the word of the Lord came to him and said, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. He began to push back. He said, Lord, I'm nobody special. I'm not a mighty warrior. The time came for there to be a battle between God's people and the Midianites. And Gideon had 32,000 men. And the Midianites, one of the most powerful armies in the world, had 135,000 men. Now, I know it's Sunday and you don't want to have to do math, so I'll do it for you. 135,000 men and 32,000 men, there's 103,000 more than what Gideon had. So he was afraid. But God said, I want you to make sure that the only people that are in the army are people that want to be here. He was basically saying, I want there to be unity in the camp. I want there to be unity in the army. So he, was, he told Gideon, he said, you go out there and you say, anybody that's afraid, that doesn't want to fight, that doesn't want to do this, that doesn't want to be a part of the army, send them home. Now, if I was Gideon, I would have said, Lord... I don't care if they want to go home or not. They are staying and they are fighting. 
I would have said, Lord, I don't care if they're like, give a half effort, if they just throw a spear and run away, if they just shoot an arrow and run away. Like, I'll take whatever I can get at this point. They have 135,000 guys. But the Lord said, no, Gideon, you go out there and you say anybody that wants to go home, they have a free pass to go home. So Gideon says, all right, Lord. And he goes up and he greets the 32,000 men. And he says, anybody that wants to go home, you're dismissed. Guess what happened? 22,000 men took him up on it. So almost two-thirds said, all right, have a nice day. We're going home. Now Gideon's left with 10,000 men against 135,000 men. He's outnumbered 13 and a half to one. And so then the Lord says, all right, I still, I need more unity in the camp. I want everybody, I want you to send them down to the brook and I want you to pay attention to how they drink water. If, they, if the ones that bend down and put their face in the water and drink the water like a dog would with their tongue, send them home. I want the guys that cup it with their hand and keep their head on a swivel and keep their eyes open and bring the water to their mouth. Those are the guys I want. So Gideon thinks, okay, we got to have unity here with how they drink water too. And so he goes down and he sees who drinks the water this way and that way. He sends 9,700 people home and now he's got 300 people. He says, okay, Lord, what now? you got to give us some good weaponry here. we got 300 guys. And the Lord says, no, no, no. The only weapon I want you to have is a trumpet and a jar and a torch. You put the candle inside the jar and when I tell you, I want you to smash the jar and I want you to blow the trumpet and the unity that you have is over going to overcome the disunity they have and so what happened is they began to blow the trumpet they began to crash the jar and they were running with the torches and the enemy got so confused and they were so disorganized and they were so disunified and there was disunity that they began to fight one another God confused them and they began the Bible said to put sword against sword they were fighting each other and God's people didn't even have to have a weapon other than the weapon of their worship blowing the trumpet because God can do a greater thing with 300 unified people. Oh, come on, somebody ought to give God a praise right there. Where two or three are gathered in His name. He said He's right there with them. He's right there with them. When God's people are united, it's a powerful force. So I went from Genesis 3 to Genesis 10 to Judges 7, but it's really all throughout this book. It's all throughout the Old Testament when you look at the story of the history of God's people, the uh, Israel nation, that the kingdom was always greater when they were united than when they were divided. They were divided much longer than they were united, but guess what? They were never greater divided than they were united. Am I saying that too fast? They were never greater, I'm getting tongue-tied, they were never greater united than they were divided. Did I say that right? I'm getting confused myself. They were always greater united than they were divided. We will all, God's people will always be greater united than divided. The kingdom was united under King Saul, under King David, and under King Solomon. And each king, you know, they all had their faults. They all made mistakes. They all had times of adversity. But guess what? The kingdom was always greater united than divided. 
is always greater united than divided. God's people are always greater, no matter what adversity we face, no matter what trials we face, no matter what temptations we face, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter what sin we fall into, no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens, I want to tell you, God's people are always greater than united than they are divided. And David, under David, the kingdom was powerful. They lost some things. They had some things come against them. That God judged them one time. David had faults. David had sins. But guess what? They were united and they grew more and more powerful. They avenged enemies that oppressed them. They won great victories. He set up his son Solomon with a great kingdom that was greatly blessed. And under Solomon's reign, they, they, they grew in wealth and prestige and power and the temple was built and the kingdom was wealthy and kings and queens of foreign lands would come and travel to see how blessed and united God's people were and just to inquire the wisdom of Solomon. God's people, the kingdom was united. But Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the kingdom split and the kingdom divided. Ten tribes went north, two tribes went south. They became the kingdom of Israel in the north, the remnant thereof. And the two tribes in the southern were, were the tribes of Judah. And then for generations, they were never as powerful, never as blessed, never as strong as they were when they were united. For generations after generations, they would fall into sin. They would fall into defeat. They would fall into oppression. Their enemies stood over them. Their kingdom would fall. The temple would be destroyed. They would be carried away into captivity. They wouldn't be able to worship or serve God freely. And it all started because of division. Don't ever forget that the devil wants to bring division to God's People. The devil wants division among God's people. It's his plan. It's his goal. He wants to separate. He wants to divide because then he can conquer. Jesus, on the other hand, desires unity. Let me show you this in John 17. We uh, often know uh, that the Lord was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. But we don't often uh, take it verse by verse or, or maybe dive into what he was praying. But I want to show you how powerful it is that the Lord on the eve of his crucifixion, on the eve of his death, just moments on the brink of his betrayal and arrest, he was praying for unity. In verse 20, I'll pick it up. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. If you read the former verses, he's praying for the disciples. He actually says, I'm not praying for the world at large right now. I'm just praying for the disciples. And then picking it up in verse 20, he says, but my prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. What he's saying is, I'm praying for the disciples that the disciples make. I'm praying for the disciples that the disciples' disciples make. Are you with me? I'm praying for the disciples that the disciples, disciples, disciples make. And all the way down to 2020, I am praying for all those that hear the message of the disciples. And here's what his prayer was. Pick it up in verse 21. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. 
Now, we understand that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. We understand that there's a mystery of the Godhead, but we also understand that there was a perfect unity. I want to say today that what God wants for His people is a perfect unity. Not a unity that a football team has or a basketball team has. Not just a unity that a a sales team has or an orchestra has, but God wants His people to have a perfect unity, to be in one accord in one mind, in one heart, have that perfect unity. And then in verse 23, it says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, I love this, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What the Lord is saying is that the unity that God's people will have will be an illustration or a proof of the love that God has for us. And this is such an amazing passage, really, because it's a window, and it's a window into the heart and the mind of our Lord. You know, I, I, uh, I, you know maybe sometime you've heard somebody else praying. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was someone in church. Maybe you walked in and, and you heard someone praying. And it's always a moment that you want to give some privacy to. It's, it's an intimate setting. If someone is praying to the Lord... Now, the Bible, Jesus talked about having a prayer closet because it's an intimate thing to, to pour your heart out to the Lord. But the entire prayer there of, the, uh, of Gethsemane, the Lord, it's actually called the high priest's prayer, is, is, is recorded there. A lot of it is recorded. Uh, and, and it's a window into the heart and the mind of our Lord. If you would overhear somebody's prayer, it's a window into their soul. It's, it's, you're able to peer down into the depths of their spirit, what they're praying for, what they're hoping for, what they're believing for, what they're petitioning for, the, their fears, their, their worries, whatever it is. I mean, you're able to just really see down into the depths of their soul. And what's amazing to me as Jesus is praying, and the Bible gives us that picture that his, he, was, he was dripping uh, sweat, but it was blood. It was just this condition of extreme, intense agony and pain. And as he's praying that prayer, right before his betrayal, he knew at any moment the torches of the guards was going to come in to that garden. He knew at any moment Judas was going to come with that kiss on the cheek. He knew at any moment he would be bound and arrested and betrayed and carried to the trial of Pilate and Herod and whipped and bruised and and beaten and given the crown of thorns and carrying the cross up Calvary's mountain and crucified and suffer in agony on the cross. He knew that that was before him, but guess what? In that moment, what was on his mind, he was praying, I am leaving the world, but they are still in this world. They're going to face a hostile environment. They're going to have trials and temptations and tribulations and all kind of things. And what is the remedy for all of that? Jesus was praying, I pray that they would just stay together. I pray that they would just have unity. He wasn't praying that they would have a new car or a big house or blessing and favor all the time. But he was saying, I pray that they just have unity. Because if my disciples, if my people, if my church, they will just have unity. They will have everything they need because Satan is trying to divide. He's trying to conquer. He's trying to separate. But Jesus is praying right before the cross was saying, I pray that they just have unity. How many say amen to that? 
we got to have unity as God's people. I remember when Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he said, pray after this man or pray like this. And he began it, the first two words, our Father is so rich. You could go on. Every word of that prayer is rich. But the idea that when we pray, we ought to say our Father, not my Father, our Father. Because it's a recognition that you're my sister, you're my brother. I'm your brother. You might say, I'm your sister. Uh, we're all in the family of God. We have been adopted with the spirit of adoption whereby we may cry, Abba, Father. And so as you look around today, you can say, that's my spiritual family. You can look around and say, that's my brother. That's my sister. It's more than just a friend. It's more than just somebody I sit across from at church. But that is my spiritual family. And I'll tell you, I've been... Do pastor in a while now, and, and, and it doesn't give me pleasure to say this, but I do say a lot of times I see that people's spiritual family is there for them when their blood family isn't there for them. There's times when the spiritual family will rally around you and lift you up and, and pray for you and be there for you when sometimes your natural family isn't there. Know it today that we are family in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Somebody ought to say amen to that. We're brothers and sisters. It's a family, a spiritual family. And Corinthians teaches us that we are the body of Christ. It says you are the hand and you are the foot. You are the eye and you are the ear. It says the eye would never say to the ear, I don't need you. And it says the hand would never say to the foot, I don't need you because we all need each other. And the hand needs the foot just like the foot needs the hand. And what is the body without an eye? It's a blind body. What is a, uh, the body without an ear? It's a body that can't hear, can't process. Uh, what is the body without a hand? It's a body that can't, can't access, can't manipulate things. What is the body without a foot? It's, it's a body that can't travel, that can't go places. What is a foot without the body? What is a severed foot any good? It's, there's no benefit without the body. What is a hand without the body? It's no good. What is an eye separated from the body? It's no good. What is an ear separated from the body? It's no good. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say I need you and you need me. You can help me. I can help you. You can pray for me. I can pray for you. You can love me. I can love you. You can serve me. I can serve you. We're all in the body together. Not only that, we are the church. The Bible says, 1 Peter, that collectively we are the temple. And it says we are the living stones. And I love that. We are the temple. We are the living stones. The blocks, they're mortared in together. They're stacked in one place. The blocks, they depend on one another. This is a block building that we're in right now. And if you would pull out a block, the whole wall would crumble. If you were to pull out just one block, this wall on the complete other side of the wall that you pulled the block out of, it could be very, this could be 10 blocks down, 15 blocks down, 20 blocks down, but it's like dominoes when you pull one out. This one falls, this one falls, this one falls, this one falls, and they all cascade down. Why? Because all of the blocks depend on each other. That is the image that we were given, that we are living stones, that we all depend on each other. And if you pull one block out, it has the ability to bring the whole wall down. And so I'm, I'm built on you and you're built on me. If I can help you in some way or you can help me in some way, 
way. We are all the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are the body of Christ and we are the living stones. So let there be unity in the house of God. Let there be unity in the family of God. Let there be unity in the body of Jesus Christ because we all need each other. Somebody give God a praise right there and just say, Amen. I need you and you need me. You know, we ought to be united in a few things as the people of God. One thing we ought to be united in is united in faith. The church needs to be united in faith. We have to be united in what we believe. I don't know about you, but I still believe that this is the word of God. I believe every word of this book is true. I believe every word in this book is inspired from God. And I stand on it. And I believe in it. I believe it stood the test of time. I believe kingdoms have risen and fallen. Kingdoms have tried to get rid of this book, but it still stands firm. People have predicted that the Bible would be eradicated, but guess what? We still have the Word of God. We still stand on the Word of God. The Word of God still stands true. People have said certain things in the Bible weren't true, and then science or history would prove that it was true. It's happened over and over and over again. I believe in the Word of God. I stand on the Word of God. And if you believe that this is God's Word, and that it's all good and profitable for instruction and reproof, to say all for salvation, somebody say amen. I believe this is the Word of God. I believe every word of it. And if you believe that this is God's word, and I believe this is God's word, we can be united in faith. A church needs to be united in belief. A church needs to be united in faith. And I say that knowing that sometimes churches break up based on beliefs. But sometimes churches will get outside of the word of God. But as long as we stand on this... It's a firm foundation. Jesus said the storms are going to come. Storms of life are going to come. The rain's going to come. The flood's going to come. It's going to beat up on that house. But guess what? If your house is built on the word of God, then that storm will not overtake that house. But the house will stand firm. And so I'll just say it this way. If you believe the word of God, and I believe the word of God, then we can be united together. And you might want to paint your house blue, and I might want to paint my house white. But we can still be united because we know that the word is true and we stand on the word. You might like your coffee with sugar, and I might like my coffee with milk. And you might not like milk, and I might not like sugar, or whatever the case is. But guess what? I still want to worship God with you because we still believe that Jesus is the Lord and that He's coming again. And so you, could, you can paint your house a different color. I still love you. You can paint your house a color that I don't like. I still love you. We're united in what matters, this belief that God is coming back for us that every word of this book is true and I believe it you believe it we can be united in faith you know it's important to know where your help comes from I remember when I was a kid uh, that there was a magnet on our refrigerator 
And it would have all of these phone numbers on it. There would be a phone number for the police department, a phone number for the fire department, a phone number for the paramedics, the EMT, the ambulance to come. There was a phone number for the veterinarian. There was a phone number for poison control. There was a phone number if somebody was choking. There was a phone number if somebody was... You remember these things? It was a phone number for this and that. You, I mean, nobody would be able to know all those numbers. And if you lived in the township over or the county this way or the city that way, there's a whole other set of numbers and all this. And I looked it up this week because I felt old saying this. 911 came out in 1968, but it wasn't nationwide until the 90s. So if you thought I was old, just I'm not that old, all right? So, And you're not either, bless God. <laughs> but all of a sudden somebody said, People need to know where their help comes from. So let's just make it a three-digit number, 911, and we can get rid of all these numbers of trying to know who to call, where to call. And all of a sudden, somebody just said, let's just make it 911. And now, if you need trouble, all you have to do is call 911. Be somebody, uh, uh, you might need a veterinarian, call 911. I don't know. Maybe try 911. I don't know. If somebody's choking, if somebody needs a fire department, if they need the police department, whoever you need, Call 911. And I'll tell you, we ought to be united in faith and just know, you need help, let's call Jesus. You need help, let me pray with you. You need help, I know where to run. You need help, let's call on the name of Jesus. Because the name of Jesus is above every name. It matters what you believe. It matters who you trust. It matters what name you call on. It matters who you put your faith in. It matters who we believe. And we have to believe that Jesus is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How many would say amen to that? We ought to thank God for his mercy and his grace because his mercy is new every morning. How many say amen to that? We ought to believe that grace, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. We ought to believe that. We ought to say amen to that. I don't care where you came from, who you are, what sin is in your past. Grace is enough to cover it all. How many say amen to that? We ought to thank God for salvation because it's by grace, through faith, that we are saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. If you believe that, say amen to that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I, uh, he said, I don't want to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. How many say amen to that? We've been preaching it for three weeks and I believe it that the day of Pentecost experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a promise for every believer. Every believer is promised that baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's alive. He, he is alive. The Spirit is for today. It's for right now. You can have it. It's for everybody. How many would say amen to that? And we believe uh, that we should live right. We believe that we should follow peace with all men. We believe that signs would follow them that believe. We believe that Jesus is our soon and returning King. That He's coming back again in like manner, just as He left. He's going to return for His people in the clouds. Jesus is coming back for a church that is looking, that is ready. And if you believe that, you will live a life that is expecting and ready for Jesus to return. Come on, church, if you believe that, say amen to that. 
And I believe that there's power in the name of Jesus. I believe in His name that we can cast out devils. I believe that at His name all of hell trembles because it says even the devils believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How many believe there's power in the name of Jesus? It matters what you believe. I still believe that there's salvation in the house. I still believe there's healing in the house. I still believe in gathering in God's name in this house. I believe there's freedom in the house, deliverance in the house, love, peace, and joy for God's people right here and right now. And I believe God is right here with us right now. He is saving. He is changing. He is healing. He's working. He's blessing. Come on, somebody. That's the God that we serve. Jesus is with us right here and right now. Jesus is Lord. Nobody like Him. Nobody beside Him. There's none higher than Him. It said, therefore God hath also highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Those in, uh, under the earth, above the earth, all shall call upon the name of the Lord. Everyone will confess that Jesus is the Lord. Amen. Amen. And if you believe that, then I stand united with you in faith and just say, in Jesus' name, we believe it until you come. We stand united. I am united in faith with you. Amen. Music can come. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to a close this morning. You know, uh, I don't have to tell you, but it's been a challenging number of weeks that our world has gone through, that our country has gone through. Even here today, you'll notice that we have aisles roped off or rows roped off. And we're trying to do everything we can. And we're doing everything that we can in this time. I know that all of us are doing everything that we can in this time. And it's been a hard time. But I want to remind God's people today of what He can do with a unified church. What He can do with a church that has unity. You know, I think that in this hour and in this time, we've, as a church, been trying to balance physical health and spiritual health. And it's a challenge. And we're here today and we're trying to balance those things. And I believe that God's people need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit more than we ever have before. More than we ever have before that I know of. We need an outpouring. We need people's faith to bounce. We need people's spirit to soar. We need worship to happen. Don't ever forget, worship is our warfare. We need it to happen. We need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And just like we're united in faith, I believe that when our faith is low, when our faith is shaken, when things come, when we go through trials and tribulations, that's when the enemy wants to come in and bring division. Remember, the devil, diabolos, it means division. It means divider. In the, in the times of tribulation, in the times of hardship, the enemy will step in and try to bring division. But guess what? When the world is divided, the church ought to stand united. And I'm united with you in faith. I'm united with you in love. 
I'm united with you in peace. I'm united with you in joy. I'm united with you as a brother, as a sister. I'm united with you as the body of Jesus Christ. I'm united with you as the church of the living God. I am united with you. And I do not want the enemy to step in and cause a divide between God's people because not only are we united in faith, but I'll tell you, we ought to be united against our enemy. Don't ever let the enemy put your sword against God's people. We have the same captain. He's the captain of our salvation. We have the same general. We're on the same side. We're fighting the same enemy. Don't ever fight each other. Fight the enemy. We have an enemy. We still have an enemy. And it's time to fight the enemy. Don't turn the sword on one another. When the world is divided, let the church be united and stand together and say, I'm united with my brother. I'm united with my sister. I'm not going to let the enemy cause division. I'm not going to let the enemy bring a division between the church. Let's stand together today and just give God a great shout of praise for it in the house right now. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, my home pastor, I'm from Indiana, and there's always farming illustrations in Indiana. And my home pastor had something he would say. He'd say, life's real simple. Water the flowers and pick the weeds and never get them confused. And it sounds like, okay, yeah, that's pretty simple. Water the flowers, pick the weeds, don't get them confused. But it's actually a very powerful statement. Because if you just keep watering the flowers, good things grow. And if you keep plucking out the weeds, you keep the bad things out. And you can apply that in every genre of your life. But I just want to say that today with the idea of in the hard times, it's easy to start ripping out good things and ripping out the flowers and plucking up good things that we need in our life. But I'll tell you, we still need unity. We still need love. We still need peace. We still need joy. Don't pluck up the flowers. Make sure you're plucking up the weeds. And it's easy in hard times to water the weeds and water the bad things and water the negativity, and water the fear, and water the division, and water the divide. But I'll tell you today, don't water the weeds, water the flowers. Rip out the weeds and water the flowers today. Somebody ought to just make sure, don't ever get it confused. You're my brother, you're my sister. I'm not crossing swords with you. We've got an enemy to fight. Let's go take the sword and take the fight to the enemy because that's where the fight is. That's where the fight is. I want to say one last thing as I close. You know, through the last few months, I, I'm sure a lot of people like us are spending more time at home. Of course, our children, when they had spring break, uh, they it turned into summer break. <laughs> it never, uh, they never went back. And I remember that when that week of spring break came, I, I told my wife, I said, honey, they're, they're on summer break. They're not going back. And she was saying, Lord, no, please don't say that. But my wife, uh, she was an elementary teacher uh, before we started pastoring. And so she uh, made that switch, put the teacher hat back on and did a great job with our boys for the last couple months. But we were spending a lot of time at home. And you know how, how siblings can be, brothers can be. That's what we're talking about, right? Sometimes there's unity and sometimes there. Hey, all right. 
I feel like the word went forth. We could just dismiss right now. Sometimes there's unity, sometimes there's division. And it was great when they would play together and everything was good. They'd go outside, they'd ride their bikes, they'd play the scooters, they'd play baseball. They're having a great time. But then, of course, there'd be the days where the house was just, the walls were caving in. They're in each other's space. They're on each other's nerves. It just seems like chaos all the time. And I remember there was this stretch of days where they were just playing so peacefully. They had a play set, and we were kind of relaxing the rules. We're letting them stay up a little later. We were letting them play toys in different places of the house that normally we try to keep organized. But they had this whole thing set up in the living room. It was kind of a, a mashup between uh, Hot Wheels and Legos and superheroes. And they were just having the best time. And they, they were, it was all peaceful and unified, and it was just great. And I'd come home and they're just, you know, having a great time. And they'd say, Dad, you know, can we get this helicopter that goes with the play set? And, I, you know, all the stores are closed. So I open up Amazon. It says $15 can be here by 6 p.m. I'm like, if you guys are going to stay playing this nice and this peaceful, $15 helicopter, sure, buddy. It'll be here by 6 p.m. Don't you know that's how God is with us sometimes? When there's unity... God says, let me pour out a blessing on them. Let me pour out power. Let me pour out anointing. There's power when God's people are together. I just want to say it one more time. There's power when God's people are together. There's unity. When there's a, an anointing, a favor. There's a blessing. And the condition for God's spirit to be poured out was that the day came and they were unified. They were in one place and they were in one mind, one heart, and one accord. I believe that in this hour, it's a better time for the church to be united than ever before. If you believe that, would you say amen with me today? Amen. Bow your head, close your eyes, maybe just lift up a hand. I want to pray over you today and just pray that prayer with me. Come on, let's lift up our voices together in the house today and just pray that God would bring unity, that God would bring us into one accord, one mind, one heart, one purpose, one goal. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would bring us to that place, God. I pray that you'd unify us in this hour, Lord, of division, Lord Jesus. Bring your people closer together, God. I pray, Lord, that the enemy would not divide us, but that, God, that you would unite us right now, Lord. Bring, put one heart in us, God. Bring us closer together, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, in this hour that there would be unity, God. In an hour of disunity, let there be unity. Let God's people be together. And I pray it right now in the name of Jesus. How many would just say amen to that and give God one more great praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Share this message with a friend. And don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.